0: off your device that's soberlink.com forward slash T a M and let accountability be your guide. Hello everyone. Welcome to the addicted mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlund and I'm your host. We are on to episode 126 today. Our guest is Andrew Han. Andrew is a licensed clinical psychologist. He graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University in social studies and psychology. He has a PsyD in clinical psychology from Hannerman University. He has also been a faculty member in the graduate counseling programs at Lesley University and Northeastern University. He currently runs the life-centered therapy training program for those who want to facilitate and or teach his process of healing. In this episode, Andrew talks about regressions, past lives, and changing our internalized narrative. Andrew talks about how our symptoms and suffering are an invitation for awareness, integrations, and mastery of experiences we have yet been unable to handle. We also talk about how he wants to bring others into this method of transformation. So that's coming up, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Uh, I have a wonderful guest today. His name is Andrew Hahn, and he's going to talk about life-centered therapy, what that means, and all the elements of that and how that can be helpful if you're struggling with addiction. Andrew, please introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, Duane. Well, first... I want to tell you how grateful I am. And as I said to you, I read your little autobiography about you, and it really touched my heart and your purpose and your mission. And if I can do a little bit, you know, to uh, help people with that and to, you know, really make an impact so that they get something, then that's my introduction. Everything else is just credentials or shit. I can't say that.
0: (laughs) It's okay if you say that. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, right. That's so true. I like that you say that. There's a lot of credentials out there and a lot of big letters and stuff that don't necessarily mean that much. And really what we want to do is get out of suffering, get out of pain, get out of hurt. Yeah. So let's just go a little bit into your story and how you got into this work and why your process is meaningful to you.
1: Well, my story is... I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. I have a PsyD, my training in, and I'm the kind of person who just always loved people and wanted to know the answers to all the questions in the universe, basically. And it was all around people and what, and to understand life and understand people. That's been my, while other people do other stuff, that's what I do. And I've been doing it since I was young. And so I got my doctorate and then I've always had fairly unusual experiences in my life. And I had one that was kind of life changing, which is that I had gone to visit a friend in who had left her whole life. She was like the fourth highest person in the UN and she had a very big life in New York. And she left it to go on spiritual retreat uh, at the Self-Realization Fellowship, at Yogananda's ashram in Encinitas. And I knew I had to visit her. So I visited her. And the day before she had fallen down and she had done something terrible to her ankle, really awful. I mean, like it was swollen. It was discolored. She was in really bad pain. And she said, I'm going to get you over to the ashram anyway, because there's this beautiful heart chanting service and I want you to see it and be in it. So we go there and we're there for about an hour and a half just doing, you know, sounding from the heart. It was just like beautiful. Now we're walking around the holy grounds of the fellowship, which I highly recommend people go to if they've never been to Encinitas. And we get to these two benches and she says, you're going to have to carry me out of here because I can't walk another step. I'm in too much pain. So I help her over to one of the benches and I walk all the way around to the other side, which was a strange place to sit. I hadn't thought about that, but it was a strange place. But I wanted her to be able to put her leg on my leg so, you know, to be elevated. I sit down. And I am the best way I can describe it is to say I was flooded with light, except it wasn't like sunlight because I knew where the sun was. And I had my eyes closed and I could see where the sunlight was and I could see where this other light was coming from, which was much more powerful than the sunlight. And it was just coming into me. And like I said, so okay, I say, put your leg on my leg and I'm just going to start. And I started just. Taking my hands i didn't touch her and i just channeled the light through my hands to her ankle and then she looks at me and she says you know i can read auras don't you and this is 1991 and i you know this is a long time ago i said roshan i'm a nice jewish boy from boston what do i know from auras and she said you know she said are you aware this pure light that's coming through the crown of your head into the center of your chest and out your hands to my ankle and i said I can't see it the way that you're talking about it, but I know it's true. That all took about, we're talking while I'm doing this. It takes 10, 15 seconds. Right, then I get to right. have sense it's time to stop. So we stopped. And I looked down, and all the swelling was gone. All the discoloration was gone. And she got up, and she just walked out of there with no pain. And I sort of said to myself, well, we're not in Kansas anymore. And so So this
0: was like an incredible experience. It sounds like that was really super powerful and changed your whole perspective.
1: I would say it was the culmination of a changing perspective. I'd had a lot of experiences kind of like it, but nothing that powerful. And that led me to wanting to understand it. So I spent two years just wherever I was led mystery trainings and energy trainings and regression what are called past life regression trainings and psycho-spiritual trainings and somatic trainings and wherever I went I was just led and I did that for two years and that added to my clinical background a lot obviously and then a friend of mine said you got to go see this woman she's doing miracles in New Jersey and she said she told me a story and she said this woman whose name was Judith was using muscle testing and tapping. And a woman had come to the training, the workshop, and she had such a bad case of asthma, she could barely walk up the stairs. And Judith did this session with her that I used something called muscle testing or kinesiology, which i had never heard of 30 years ago. And she had her tap all over her body, which I had also, I'd never heard of the those kinds of what are now called eft or tft if you know that world right right i'd never heard of that 30 years ago because she was one of roger callahan's original students and she had taken you know nlp and tapping and kinesiology and some of her own research on loss and violence and put it into a framework and um anyway so the woman's tapping all over her body while she's telling some story and then judith muscle tests and it says that her asthma's cleared so the woman, she says to so woman, why don't you walk out, go outside and see if you feel different. So she walks outside, she walks, she starts to run. She runs up and down the street. She comes back. She is exhausted and elated, I was told. And she said, uh, I haven't been able to run a step in seven years. Wow. I said, that's a, That's a pretty wild story. So it turned out Judith lived 10 miles from me, and she didn't live in New Jersey. She lived just outside of Boston, which is where I live. So I went and studied with Judith, and we became a team because Judith knew nothing much about psychology. She knew nothing much about spirituality or energy or anything. She was a neurobiologist who became an NLP practitioner and then became a craniosacral practitioner, and that was her world. And I learned and from hers and she learned everything i knew about psychology and spirituality and the enneagram and all kinds of and past life regression stuff and everything we became a team and we worked together for a few years and we created frameworks that we call different things we worked at white heat and i started getting results that without going into a lot of detail even around addictions make the story i told you about asthma pretty tame i mean things that really looked like miracles i mean like And I saw, I mean, the world you're talking, I saw people with chronic pain that nothing was touching and having it go away in 20 minutes. I saw addictions go away in an hour, that people had been chronically addicted, and I saw depressions go away. Not always. I mean, sometimes it you'd see things that really look like miracles, like in the Bible, miracles. And sometimes you'd see small miracles because people become freer. But the symptoms they came in about you know, may have taken over a year to get rid of because it was just a doorway into many layers of things. And that was 27 years ago. And I started training people in what I do, which I at that point called Guided Self-Healing in 1997. And we changed our name about three years ago to Life-Centered Therapy because um, even though our trainings for people who are just lay people who want to learn how to heal themselves, we still call guided self healing. But our whole idea is that why we call it life centered therapy is that life has a being, is a being and a consciousness of its own, and it reveals itself to us and with us and through us. And when we get to know what it's sharing with us, miracles happen. And our work is to you know, it's sort of like our whole world has gone from being egocentric to being other centric. You know, we used to think the world revolved around us. Then we said, nah, we revolve around something bigger. And we, you know, when we're little kids, we think the world revolves around us. And then we say, no, we revolve around something bigger. And it's the same thing with us in life. And when we know that really who we are is life, we become free. And at that point, in my experience, the things that we think will never change just drop away that's my story
0: that's great i love that story i love connecting to whatever this higher purpose higher thing is being able to see that and how that really does can't really shift us shift us in a in a different kind of way when we can open our self to it so i i would love to know like from your perspective, what do you think is happening? What's going on here with these people that come in with maybe some kind of pain—physical pain, emotional pain—and what, what so whatever kind of suffering it is? Mm-hmm. What do you
1: think is happening? What's going on? I'll tell you. I can tell you in one sentence: everything you suffer about simply is something that couldn't be handled and taken in stride. That's it. I don't care what you call it—chronic pain fibromyalgia, autoimmune disease, depression, anxiety, addiction, bad relationships you keep getting in, alienation. It's one thing in my experience. Something couldn't be handled and integrated. That's it. You could Something couldn't be taken in stride. And when that happens, which is my definition of trauma, Trauma is subjective. It's just simply something that can't be handled, right? So I would say, as an exemplar, if you're a Christian, right? Jesus, right? When he's screaming at his father and saying, Why hast thou forsaken me? As an exemplar, he's in a trauma structure. He's judgmental. He's comparative. He needs to understand something that he doesn't understand. And it's coming out in him in this kind of anxiety, right? Right. And then a few days later, he says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They're blind, but they, they think they're killing me, but I can say, I can take, I can handle anything because I know there's no such thing as birth or death. I mean, I might right. be sad about it because I might miss my mother. He was a nice Jewish boy, but you know, it's like, I mean, there was, it was no reactivity anymore. Right. And so I think. All we're trying to do is get people to be free of their reactivity. And I think every symptom you have is, on the surface, awful, and on a soul level, a clue to what it is that couldn't have been handled and integrated, including addiction. So let's go back for a second. You say, why do people suffer? Simple. Why do they go to healers? One thing. Something couldn't be handled and integrated. That's it. Couldn't be taken in stride. What is healing? mastering what couldn't be handled and integrated. How do you do it? Simple. When there's something that can't be handled and integrated in that moment a sensation is born and you get stuck and you believe you are the sensation as opposed to being Dwayne. You no longer will be right. living in the present moment. You will be you will be something else. So like I give I give this example. So it,
0: just to just to, just just slow down a little bit. So sure. in a way what I hear you saying is that Everything that we kind of experience is our, our, I don't think it's as simple as cognition, but it's like this belief system that comes up and then kind of blocks us or keeps us stuck in that pain. And there really is this way in which when we discover or have suffering mm-hmm. that we can shift our perspective on that i I know it's not just as simple as just shift our perspective but like and and that can change how we experience the whole event
1: well actually i think it is just a shift of perspective but i'd say the shift is from being identified with the one who was traumatized to identifying with the one who is holding or hosting or witnessing the one who was traumatized which is who we really are right So I'll give you an example. You come into my office, a motorcycle backfires, and you have a panic attack. Why? Well, let's say 10 years ago, you are in a war, right? Bomb goes off near you. You can't handle it. So from then, let's say that's where it crystallized. So you no longer are Dwayne living in 2021. You're Dwayne living in Afghanistan, right? Yep. And- when that happens, in the moment something couldn't be, ha- and you'll notice the, the, the thing that you think is the problem, right, is a problem because you're having a reaction and you're suffering because every time a car backfires or a motorcycle backfires, you have a panic attack, you know, That's things, but it's also an invitation to remembering something so you can say, I know that happened to me, but it's not who I am. How do we do that? It's simple. Whenever there's something that can't be handled, in that moment, a sensation is born, a discomfort. So if I say, Dwayne, you're in my office. I say, Dwayne, when you're having this panic attack, what happens in the body? And you say, oh, my throat's closing up. Then I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to say, Dwayne, you're not having a panic attack. Throat closing up is having a panic attack. Your little toe is fine. It's not you. But someone whose name is throat closing up is having a panic attack. And what you're gonna do is, and you've been you have instead of like choosing to face throat closing up, you have identified with throat closing up, and you think it's you, and that's why you're having a panic attack right now. So what I want you to do is choose to become throat closing up, bring all your attention there so you are it from the inside out, and as soon as that happens, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you see whatever happens will be throat closings up story, except now you'll be identified with the one who's choosing to be throat closing up and is saying, I'm here with you. I'm holding you, I'm witnessing you. And when that happens, throat closing up shares its story because awareness is the most powerful thing, but it's not like you're talking about it. There's an immediacy to it because you're sharing something from the inside out. And that makes all the difference. And it's not about regressing somebody. So most people who do the work I talk about say, we're regressing you to an earlier time. And then they say, we have to resource you. And I say, that's not my experience in 27 years because the second you choose to be the other, it's not like we're regressing Dwayne. We're having Dwayne find the one who is, can't handle something. And therefore, Dwayne can't get re-traumatized no matter how bad the thing is by definition.
0: It's in a way what I hear is differentiating yourself from that experience that the self is in a way, um, I don't know if these are the right words, but higher than that experience or in in some ways, they uh, I've heard this kind of called the impartial observer. The mm-hmm. person can watch mm-hmm. and see what's going on, and there's a separateness to it right. that does enable you to just transcend it, or walk through it, mm-hmm. or not be engrossed in it. Mm-hmm. And and when we get engrossed in our suffering, we're 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 stuck there. It's, it's, exactly. it's awful. I totally relate to what you're saying. And in my experience and work and doing this work and some of my own suffering, it, it, there is this moment of, of being able to just step away and, and just watch it and then nurture the other part, I guess, if that's, who <laughs> you know. nurture that other part and, and allow that part to walk through it and, and know that, it's okay.
1: Exactly. The only thing I would say is it's not a part. Right. Just like Dwayne isn't a part. It'd be like saying, you're. I mean, unless you want to say, well, you're part of something bigger, but I'd say you're still Dwayne, right? And people do parts work, and parts work is like, you know, well, internal that's like family systems. Yeah,
0: yeah, internal family systems.
1: Right. What I would say is I know parts work very well, and I would say you can't find certain things if you think of it as a part of you but if you know that they're living beings i mean because if i when i use muscle testing which is what i do if it says to do parts work i'll do parts work and then i'll say we're going to do something on a king archetype or the relationship of a protector to a uh, an exile or something right it's very different if you're saying no who you are right let's take a different example let's say you have the same problem you have a you have a panic attack right Uh, but this time However you want to understand this, 100 years ago in World War One, you were the leader of all those soldiers, which we can find out, and you walk them into uh, ambush because you're not paying enough attention. You're in the woods and you're looking around and you're not paying enough attention. You walk them into an ambush, bombs go off and you watch them all die, right? Right. I, would not, I would say that's a living being. You actually could find that person in history if you believe in other lifetimes. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Um, but if you had enough information, you would literally find another person. And you would find out that if you had enough information that they walked all that group into a bomb. And then that person comes in and they think they're coming in for their panic attacks. But really what you're going to find out is they also have obsessive compulsive disorder and they have this strange belief that if they don't pay enough attention, something terrible will happen. Everyone will say, you're crazy. Well, of course, you're not crazy. It makes total sense. It's your narrative. Or they'll come in and they'll say, I have chronic foot pain. Why? Because the shrapnel hit them in the foot or because they were feeling so guilty and ashamed that they shot themselves in the foot. And if they shot themselves in the foot, then they'll tell you a story about how somebody like purposefully stepped on their foot and now they have chronic foot pain except no one will find why they have it anymore and they'll say well i know why i had it because someone did this but really that's just a reenactment of what happened a hundred years ago and that they unconsciously created in their life it's called the law of attraction you create what you need in order to heal and grow and then they'll shoot they'll say i shot myself in the foot every time i'm going to be a leader i shoot myself in the foot and people will say oh that's their metaphor no it's literal. They never want to be a leader again. So in that story, they shot themselves in the foot to make sure that they would never be in that position again. And then they come in and they tell you, whenever I have an opportunity to be a leader, I shoot myself in the foot. And people think, oh, that's a metaphor. No, it's literal. They're telling you a story about somebody who shot themselves in the foot in 1918. And as soon as you know that, miracles happen. Like you find that out and you change it because you know what their real problem is. It's not reactions to loud sounds. It's I betrayed a trust. And when you find I betrayed a trust, Magically, if this is the only reason, what happens in a half hour is their reactions to loud sounds go away, their obsessive compulsive disorder goes away, their chronic foot pain goes away, their inability to step into leadership goes away, their weird feeling when they walk into the woods and say, i got to get out of here goes away, all in 20 minutes if that's the only reason. Because all of those things were only clues to the original story, but you didn't know that that was a story of betrayal. Right. Okay, And that's what I do. And if you apply it to addictions, you want to be able there are certain things you have to know when the thing that someone comes in with is food addiction or sex addiction or uh, drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. There are certain things you want to look for over and above what I'm just telling you, although what I'm telling you is the most important thing, because all addictions also. Are one of two things. They're either you're reliving the echo of something, or you're reliving of the way you try to make sure it's never going to happen again.
0: Right. That's it. right. So what I what what I see in that and what you're saying, and you, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm off base. It's like we have these stories, however we make them up, mm-hmm. and these stories we get caught in these stories mm-hmm. and really have a difficult time getting to that that meaning which is that change point which is that like this this is this is really about betrayal you know mm-hmm. and that feeling that comes with betrayal and if you can watch yourself in that feeling and just watch that play out mm-hmm. you can in a way completely shift that Story for yourself. I don't know. Not shift the story, but shift the the meaning of it. The
1: right your whole relationship with it.
0: The whole relationship with it. Yeah, that's exactly exactly. What I say.
1: And the way you do that is you find the one whose story it is, whose name is going to be throat closing up until he tells you, "No, my name is General Da Da Da,", da. and right. it's nineteen eighteen, and you might know that his name is general deducted or it's one of your ancestors on your mother's side six generations ago or whoever it is or it's you from the future i don't know who it is but they're a living being like you are and they were born in a moment like you were born in a moment and they have their own stories and they're here right now and all you have to do is say i will find you and the way i'm going to find you is you're here is the discomfort or to put it differently, every discomfort is a narrative that couldn't be handled, and anything you can't handle has an exact associated discomfort. Become the discomfort, and worlds change. Right.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I for me, I'm I'm not a big believer in past lives. I don't believe it. Believe in that. I, but I do believe that we have stories that we tell ourselves, and the brain can make these stories meaningful and purposeful and they can have those meanings. And if we shift those stories, Mm -hmm. we're going to change. If we, if we shift, however, we make that story happen. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. with that shift in that story, um, we can find relief. And then sometimes I think we hold on to stories for whatever reason, you know, we we're in suffering, but, I think like you said, there's something we have to get out of that story or master it to mm-hmm. be able to shift it and change it. And once we do that, we we grow.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: And we become our better selves, if you want to say that, or whatever exactly. that is, or we live more fully. And exactly. um, it's really, in some ways, what I like what you're saying is it's really not that complex.
1: It's right? really, it's
0: really not, simple. It's really kind of simple. and if we can do that we can find a lot of relief and these things will come up all the time through life i think and then we can move that story and shift that story and change it
1: right and the only thing that makes it because in its simplest form it's the simplest thing in the world find what you're suffering about drop whatever you think it is scan your body find the sensation bring all your awareness to such degree there that you become the sensation from the inside out and then whatever happens next is their story all you then have to know is if you say i'm not feeling anything that is a sensation i've asked people say people can't get in their body they tell me i don't feel anything i say Did it ever occur to you if you ask them a question, they're answering your question. Like if you say, what are you feeling in the body? They say, I'm not feeling anything. And then you say something like this. You say, where are you feeling in your body? I'm not feeling anything. I haven't had one person yet who can't answer that question, right? So. Right, and then you have to know that everything the person says is anyway not there. They're not in the present moment anyway. But if they say, "I can't do this," and they think they're talking about, "I can't find a sensation or something," no, they're in a story where somebody can't do something. I mean, they're in a story where the first the first sentence of the story is, "I can't do this," and all you then say is, "Uh huh, yeah, that's right." And right, and they look at you like you have six heads, and then they keep telling the story.
0: And right? it'll, all, it'll all be there anyway. It's all present. It doesn't really matter. It's all there.
1: Yes. And then the only thing is, you're looking for the most powerful, simple story. And some of those stories are very hard to find, right? right? Because when we call it life-centered therapy, I say you have to open to everything. I don't care about your belief systems. But if the right. most powerful story is going to be you as a leader in World War One, right? Right. And that's the most powerful story. I don't care if you call it literally a past life or your own personal mythology or your imagination or an undreamed dream. Your values are none of the hell of my business. But if you can't find the story, you'll work in this lifetime forever. And you'll say, like, I kept working on the this guy stamping on my foot and like, I'm getting a result, but it's not the best result because you don't know what the problem is. Totally get so it. I, I don't care. But what I can do is a diagnostic. So like, you know, my partner's husband had tinnitus, terrible tinnitus, right? He's an engineer. It's a weird story. We found out that it was a story we call an extraterrestrial implant. Okay. Uh Now, some people would say that's crazy, but he thought it was crazy, but who cares? Okay. So, and you can say, well, You can think about that metaphorically. Well, what would it mean if something put an implant inside of you? You could talk about what the theme would be, but sometimes it could be literal. So he he says, All right, when you really allow an implant, what happens in your body? And he says, This is weird sensation in my head. And he brings all his attention there. He says, I know what this is. He said, I didn't want to hear some news. And I'm saying out loud in this story very immediately. I don't want to hear this. Like, somebody help me. And then he sees this weird being put something in his head. I don't care what you think about it. He then says, oh, thank you, right? And I don't need it anymore. Could you please remove it? And then he gets the thing like, um, you know, it starts to melt. And you know what? He also had lost his hearing in that ear. It was a double-like protection. I won't say much more about this except that, Joni, who's my partner in this, whispered something in that ear that night and he heard it. And he hadn't been able to hear a word in years. And all of his ring, all of the tinnitus went away. His hearing loss came back, but the tinnitus never came back. Now, I don't think David necessarily believes in extraterrestrial implants, but he doesn't have ringing in his ears. So I don't think he cares. I,
0: I totally get that. What was what, really coming up for me is that some of the Uh, I've been reading about some of the research on chronic pain and people who Mm -hmm. struggle with year long chronic pain Mm -hmm. and how um, they're finding so much of that is in the brain and in perception. Uh And that some of these people who have chronic pain for like 10 years, Mm -hmm. right. And, and they have, you know, they have all the MRIs that show the, all the injuries or whatever, yeah, but yet when they start to change the story about their chronic pain,
1: uh-huh.
0: the pain eventually so, dissipates right. and is gone. Yeah. Even though supposedly these injuries are still there, they could go to mm-hmm. MRI and still get them. The pain is gone, which is yep. it, it's pretty amazing. So when you're telling me this about like the tendinous, and and yeah. um, it, it reminds me of this new research that's coming out about how chronic pain manifests and, and in, in, in a way it speaks to what you're saying, at least that's what I, I make up and what I kind of hear and I wonder about.
1: Well what I'd say, i I we see a lot of people with chronic pain that nothing touched. They've been to experts, they've been to everybody. And it's because when I muscle tested, it, it's not physical, it's energetic. I'll tell you a story. And I'll tell you I'll show you what I mean because it's not just it's the it's the particularity in which you change the relationship. It's not just changing the relationship. Because the the, the dense energy in your body is going to be more powerful than affirmations. Because it's like saying, You have to master something. And you don't master it by saying, like, I'm going to shine a, you know, I'm going to put a light in a whole big room. You're going to say, I'm going to laser something. So I found out we had a woman who came in. I'm going to tell you this amazing story. I like chronic pain stories. You brought them up, and then we go after addiction stories if you like. But like, we had this chronic pain story. Woman came in horrific accident. I'll tell you the accident in a second. But we found out that her chronic pain was energetic. It was one story that however you want to understand it, it started in what we would call a karmic other Lifetime, okay, which she didn't particularly believe in, but I found a way to talk with her about it. And it was a story of betrayal also, because I can do a diagnostic. I can find, is it a story of neglect? Is it a story of betrayal? Is it a story of protection? I we sort of mapped out sort of all of these universal mythic stories. And then if you come in with something, I can find out, is that your real problem or is that just a symptom of something deeper? And if it's a symptom of something deeper... That's what I spend my life doing—is finding out the things that people might not be aware of. So you can go way more quickly if you know it's not a story of pain. That's just the symptom of betrayal. Okay, I have her say I betrayed a trust. Okay, which is what we induct people by having them say something out loud in muscle test. And she said, "I don't understand this, but there's something about it," and her back pain you know, gets very bad. Now she says, I'll tell you, this, it's amazing. She says, I said, you want to do this this thing sitting down or standing up? She says, I'm going to do it standing up because I can't sit for more than a minute or two without like being in, she said in the beginning, she said, I'm going to have to like be a pogo stick right. and stand up right. and down. Okay, so we're standing up and we find it's a betrayal story. She drops into the back page. She said, this is really weird. She said, I see myself in this toga and I'm a general, okay? And I have this large army. And uh, we're about to fight another army. And I get together with the leader of the other army, and we decide we're going to just fight each other. And whoever wins, the other, all the, the whole army is going to have to become the slaves of the other army. We made this agreement, okay? And he goes back and tells his men that. They don't say anything, okay? He says, I got this. He goes out there. They're in a desert. He goes out there. This is very vivid to this person. Um, And I can talk to you about that later, too, if you care. But it's very vivid. They're having this fight. And he's being a little bit nonchalant because he says he was kind of arrogant. And what happens is this other general is able to trip him. And he falls down on his back. And as he's trying to get up... There's this wind that, that this person describes like a wave of, of sand that comes up and knocks him over onto his stomach. And the lost thought, he sees this other general behind him with this enormous sword and is about to go like this and he can't get away. And his last thought is, I betrayed thousands of men, okay? And then he says, I don't know what happened. So the person has two problems. The first is that in our world, which happens a lot in addictions, they dissociated. So that's why they didn't know they had died. So you're kind of stuck. If you leave your body and then someone kills your body, you're kind of in a bad way. So the first thing we said is you got to tell the parts that left to come back, right? And you just invite them all back. You do your own shamanic work. You invite them all back in and you say, it's I mean, you call them back in, they come. And then you say, now you're going to choose to die. And this time you're going to choose to leave your body and go through the crown of your head. But you have to do something first before you go to the light, which is where you want to go. You have to find the souls of those soldiers and you have to like, say, like, you have to say, I am so sorry and listen to what it was like for them. And this woman who's a woman, but a man in the story is sure that she is going to get like excoriated, you know, like, like they're going to say, and they're all laughing. And they say, we forgave you 2,000 years ago because we had to learn a lesson. You had trained us to do to be warriors. Archetypically, we were built to be warriors. And we should have at least said, wait a second, no. Our whole life purpose is to be a warrior, and you're not letting us do that. And we went along with it. And you trained us, and we knew how to fight, and you wouldn't let us do it. Okay. At that point, the woman gets this enormous smile on her face and says, I see light now, I'm going to it, I'm like the light, I'm done. And then she sits down. And she sits down and we start talking about the experience for over an hour. And then she says, oh my God, no back pain. Now I'm going to tell you how she got her back pain, okay? She's at the beach with a bunch of mothers watching their children. There's no lifeguard. She's at the beach and they've trained them how to swim, okay? They're out swimming. The kids are out swimming. She's not paying any attention. She's sort of like, say, oh, I don't. Know. I mean, you know, she's just not paying much attention. Suddenly, she looks out there, and one of the kids looks like the kid is drowning. She says, "Oh my God, I haven't protected them!" And she braces out into the water. Right? Gets knocked over by a wave hits her back right on the spot that she saw in the story and is dragged out of the water and is immediately brought to an emergency room. They say, this is like worse than any car accident we had seen. All the kids get out of the water. They've taken care of themselves and she's dragged out and she's in the, you know, and she's now seven years later. She still has chronic pack pain. No one knows why. Same story. She thinks it's an accident. It's not an accident. It's like you realize that the thing you think is an accident in fate, you unconsciously create without awareness because that, that sensation acts like a magnet. It will keep saying, you know, Groundhog's Day. We will keep giving you more and more chances until you get it right. You'll be miserable but we don't care because we only care about your growth and we care about the growth of all those soldiers who had to learn and say we're going to go and swim we're not going to sit on the beach and it's like it's it's amazing the stories i i, I
0: can i can totally hear that and see how that would take place i mean i believe the brain and the way in which we conceptualize the world and function is is through metaphor and through these these constructs and i can totally see how someone could use that story to then shift that whole experience for them and create a completely different meaning about it and change the whole nervous system in the body and right. how it responds to it yeah, and it then does. that way you have your you kind of conquer that you transcend it and then you're not in that piece of suffering anymore
1: right and then you do the same thing with an addiction. It's the same idea. Someone comes in with an addiction. I mean, we don't have a lot of time. I could tell you some really interesting stories about addiction. What do you have to do? You have to do several things, some of which you don't have to do in other circumstances. The first thing you have to do is, an addiction is like anything else, You have to it's, there, it's like coming in with back pain, or it's like coming in with anxiety. I don't care. So I'm going to muscle test and say, do we work directly on the addiction, Or is the addiction a symptom of something else? And I get an answer. Well, the addiction could be anything. But let's suppose in another lifetime, you didn't have enough food. And you say, your dying thought is, I'm going to like never be hungry again. And you stuff your face in this lifetime. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we take care of that. Or let's suppose when you're three years old, you know, every time you get hurt, you never get you, no one ever pays any attention to you, but if you get hurt, um, they feed you a lot. Say, right. come to mama, we'll feed you, we'll take care of your pain. So you say, okay, the way for me to handle my pain is to choose to eat. Because if I don't accept the food, then I'm going to get like, what are you? I mean, so in that case, it's a protection, right? It's not the problem. It's the way you protect. You say, mama, I'll eat, I'll eat, I'll eat, I'll eat. And every time any pain comes up, you eat, right? As a protection. So you can make a differentiation between are you reliving the story? Or are you reliving the protection? And that's a very important distinction to make, because if you're reliving the protection, then you say to the, you know, a, eating addiction, you say, thank you so much, because you saved me from something worse, but I don't need you anymore. And so you can feel the sensation of it. And what you do is you just externalize it because you chose to bring it in then, right? It's not that you're reliving the trauma, you wouldn't say thank you if you're reliving the trauma, right? If right. You know. But if it's, if it's a protection, you say, thank you. And now I'm going to choose to bring you out and send you back with love to the three-year-old me who needs loving protection. And then I'm going to find out who I truly am that was being protected, was being hiding or hidden underneath that, right? And that can be really powerful. Or sometimes, sometimes, like there's something we call archetypal identities. And archetypal identities are ways to protect yourself from a core fear. I had a man who came in, really bad alcoholic. Turned out it was just what we call this archetypal identity. So there was some core fear that his alcoholism was protecting from something, but it was a very deep belief, right? A core fear right, is like something right. that's fundamental to you. All right. So his fundamental belief was, I'm a loser and you know I'll never be a winner, okay? So whenever he gets into a situation where he was going to be a loser, he starts to drink, So it's protecting him from this belief of being a loser. But then he gets drunk and then he acts like a loser. So the very protection itself invited him into the thing that he was trying not to feel. But as soon as he knew, as soon as he could talk to the sensation called his addiction, in this case, his alcohol addiction, and he found out the story because we could do a diagnostic and say, you won't find a story about this because you're looking for the thing you're most afraid to experience. And it's protecting you from that. And he found out, because there are a lot of ways to protect ourselves from deep fears, one of which is addictive behavior, right? So we found the deep fear, which was, I'm a loser right and the shame about that we found the way he protected himself which was drinking because then he wouldn't feel like such a loser because he thought he was the life of the party and then we found out how that invited him back into being a loser because he would put his head in the soup and like as soon as he realized all that and realized it meaning realized it meaning experienced it in the body it's not like he was talking about this right that's the whole difference Right. right So then there's then, a there's
0: a body sensation w- with what you're talking about. And when you go through this story, there's this body sensation that has to accompany accompany it. Like right. it's it's Always. part of it. This is a felt. These kind of things are felt experiences. They're not right. just they're not just cognitive. Right. They have they're to have cognitive. that emotional energy behind right. them. Right. Or they they I, my guess is they don't necessarily take in the same way. They don't. It's like,
1: it's like talking about something but the body sensation it's like you get the beliefs but you also get the emotions you get the boundaries because it's a living being right so you become a living being then the i'll just tell you the others there's the thing called we call it a wonderful pattern so it's about a laters why do people eat chocolate chip cookies addictively, because they like the taste or because it makes them feel good when they didn't feel good. So there's a whole pattern where we call it positive emotional charge as opposed to negative emotional charge. You want to be in a place where you're free, but sometimes there's a craving, and the craving is because you like it so much, particularly if you're contrasting it to the rest of your life, right? So, right. so sometimes you have to take care of a laters in addictions. Like, the reason you do it is because you like it but you compulsively like it, right? Right, So then you balance on that. Or there's habits that go with it. So there are triggers, like every time you drink coffee, you have a cigarette. So you might have to tap out that. Or every time after lunch, there are contexts in addiction sometimes, right? And then there's secondary gain. I'm going to go through this really fast with you. Like every time you bring out the cake, your whole office comes over to you. So it's your way of getting like that going. So there's a positive secondary gain to a lot of addictions. And then there's anticipatory fears, which is either it won't work or it will work. And if it does work, then you have to let go of an identity. And those are the things I want to get out quickly for you that because there's certain things around addictions. And some of them you can use things like emotional freedom technique or tapping and you know, particularly for things like elaters or triggers or contexts, but you can't use those for like the part of you that's your deepest fear, because you can't tap it out, because it's a different thing. Ha!
0: I'm done. No, that no. This is all really good stuff. One one question I have, and, and I'm thinking, is for a lot of people, you know, they might be listening to this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. But what you've described is a lot of people being able to do that work with with you or with another person, right? Mm-hmm. This is yeah. like sharing the story with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And having someone else help you reframe that story. And mm-hmm. I'm also wondering if, if that is an important element in this process, is that in order to do this, I, I don't think, to, you know, I don't want to say it's, it has to be this way or that way. But I wonder if that's also a big part of it, sharing your story with a compassionate individual that can walk through your narrative.
1: Look, if I have a choice. I would rather be with anybody than do it by myself, right? right. I'd rather have a, a happy toddler, right? I mean, so to speak. I mean, because right, I think I when, two, when two or more are gathered, but sometimes you can't. And we train people how to do all this. You can. We, we That's what we call the guided self-healing. One of the reasons is we had people who come and did our training just so they could learn it because you can run the the framework and the protocol for yourself, and you get s- basically the same result. I just don't prefer it but it's like because you're in relationship with the divine right
0: right yeah i can understand that yeah
1: you know so i i have people say i don't want to do this with anybody else but you know i want to learn how to do it i say we can train you how to do it and there are layers of it because if you just start with what's simple right you go back to what's simple whenever you're suffering about something find the sensation drop in and just get really receptive and everything else there. is a jazz. Everything else is a jazz riff. It makes it more nuanced. It makes it more elegant. If I can find, if I can find for you that the real problem is a protection as opposed to we're reliving, you know, and it never occurred to you, or if it never occurred to you that the most powerful story is going to be some dark energy that took you over, it gets harder to find. So all I'm doing is I'm going to say, I can point you in a direction that's coming through you anyway, because it's coming through your soul, but it wants you to know that you may not be aware of certain things. So it's hard. it makes it harder to find them. Right. That's the difference.
0: Right. No, that makes sense.
1: Right. That make, but that I'll makes tell a lot you, of sense. I didn't know any, I, you know, 27 years ago, I didn't know all that stuff and I was still getting remarkable results for myself and with other people. So you can start really like, you know, keep it simple, sweetie. You know?
0: I keep it simple. It really you break it down, it's just a, really some some core elements, and that's it. And you can walk around those elements. um yeah. I love that, and I, I totally relate to what you're saying and the simplicity of it. Once you kind of step out and see it from that, I, I don't know that perspective. That's just above it, I guess. So we're 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 close on our time. Yeah, uh, I, I'm thinking the question I want to ask you one more question is someone out there is listening to the Addicted Mm -hmm. Mind and they're listening to this podcast and they're listening to you and they feel really stuck. Like, Mm -hmm. well, it's not going to work for me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What would you you tell them? What would you want to say to them? What would be the message you want to give them?
1: Well, I'll give them two messages. The first one is I would start with a trauma structure, which is it's not going to work for me. So, enfold everything in. You think you're saying, it's not gonna work for me. No, somebody else is saying, it's not gonna work for me. Find what happens in the body when you really allow your suffering around, it's not gonna work for me. Your fear, it's not, gonna, your anxiety, right? There'll be a sensation. Make it part of the process. Say, all right, when I really, really let myself experience it's not gonna work for me, what happens to the body? oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Great. Its name is nausea. It's not my nausea, it's nausea. Bring all your attention there and say, what have you come to share with me about it's not going to work for me? Watch what happens. But if you want to do it with someone, come to one of our certified practitioners and they'll do it for you and with you. They don't do it for you. They just say, it's part of the process. Just drop into it. So, and that's, you know, it's hard to remember it's not going to work for me is the, it's it's the point. It's not the problem, right? There's no such thing as resistance. There's only remembering. Everything is part of the process. Everything is literal. You can't step outside of it, drop into the body, feel the sensation and just get receptive. And I will guarantee you something will change. I guarantee it. Either your problem goes away. If you do it long enough, or your relationship to it changes if you do it long enough. The question is, how long enough is long enough? And that's only a question of how many layers there are. And if you want to do it with one of us, lifecenteredtherapy.com, we have a bunch of certified practitioners. You want to do that. And if you want to learn how to do it, you can come to a training and we teach you how to do all this stuff for yourself or for your family or for whatever, because that's what I really care about. Because, like, you know, people are suffering and it's like we have a way of helping them and it's so simple
0: so simple. I will uh, put all those links in the show notes at the mind.com. so if people want to get a hold of you they can. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the addicted mind, sharing your wisdom, sharing your passion and just sharing your hope with everybody.
1: Well, I'm really grateful and like, you know, Dwayne, you know, you have a really obviously you you do catch you probably think about this a lot cuz I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. And you have like your heart is so like beautiful and you're 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 living it. So thank you.
0: Oh, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you.
1: Okay, my friend.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at the forward slash one twenty-six. Once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast and you're getting a lot out of it, please rate and review us in iTunes. That really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure or share the podcast with a friend. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.